Hey, hey, and welcome to Process, a podcast where we have honest conversations about what it takes to manage the ups and downs of the creative journey. I'm Marcela Chamorro, your host. Today, I'm interviewing Jean Powell, a friend that I met a few years ago at a conference, and then I met up with at another conference, and then another conference, and we became conference buddies for a while. Needless to say, we have a lot in common, but we work on totally different things which is kind of why I love Jean. She's all about sales. And I learned a lot from Jean about sales in the past. And I wanted to share a little bit about why sales is so important and how it can be so creative here on the podcast. So I asked her to come on the show and tell us a little bit about why sales can lead to personal transformation and how we can not just master sales, but master our fear of rejection. And as creative people, I know that's something that we face all the time, whether we're selling our art or publishing a very vulnerable piece of, you know, writing or whatever it is that you work on. I think Jean has some important things to say that could help out. Currently, Jean is VP of sales over at Mir, which is a company that designs products to empower people to get out and live active, connected lives. So for example, they have a whole hydration line where they sell beer growlers and tumblers, insulated bottles, and all this other stuff. And they're now going into bags and bikes and things like that. But the most important you know, thing about Mir to Jean was that for every product they sell, they also focus on helping people. And so for example, all their hydration products, if you buy one, they'll bring clean water to somebody who needs it. So Jean is over there at Mir growing their sales team at a rapid pace. And I want to hear what Jean has to say about sales and how it applies to our creative work. Let's get to it. Jean Powell, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hello, Marcella. Tell me a little bit about sales. You are, when I think of Jean Powell, I think of sales and think of beer, which we'll talk about later. (laughs) But tell me a little bit about why you fell in love with sales. Why is it that I think of you and the word sales? It's so funny because I hear that and there's still this deep part of me that goes, how did this happen? Because I was the most uncomfortable kid when it came to approaching people or asking anybody anything. I think about the first time magazine sales came into school and I was so excited about the idea, but I was terrified to actually do it and I never did. Um, So when I think now that people associate my name with sales and it feels so embodied, Um, it's really still a surprising thing. Um, And I think that that's part of the great part of my path in sales is that I wasn't born a salesperson. And so through the journey of becoming a salesperson and somebody who advocates for why it's so important in life, um, it's given me this place where I feel like anybody can take this on. Um, But I also approach anything in life that way in that it can be learned. And so it feels like for you... Yeah, it it just sounds like sales is kind of, and from our conversations in the past, I feel like to you, sales signals like personal transformation in a way. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been this incredible vehicle. I think a lot of people have their own vehicles that they've used, be it writing or some other form of creativity. Um, And I see sales as a creative endeavor. Um, And it's a place where I've developed myself. It's been incredibly confrontational where I've had to face insecurities or um, places where I feel inadequate in myself. 
and through the journey of getting better at it and then flipping into teaching other people through that journey, um, it's been transformational. And every time I think I've really got it, there's just this new layer I get to unpack. And so there's really no other place I could feel I could be where I could uh, have this level of accelerated growth. So like, for example, what would be kind of an ex- one of those new frontiers where you feel like you need to unpack or something, a new struggle that you feel that you're facing with sales? I would just so say, I can, like, just imagine yeah. this. It's some of it is transitioning things I've been really good at in sales and then bringing that into real life. And I noticed about a year ago, um, one of the big themes that came up for me is asking for what I want. And this was more in relation to relationships, which is, I find a lot of parallels to sales and relationships. And so a lot of the training that I do with my team, uh, it really catches people's attention because I can relate it to dating and people always love to talk about the juicy stuff. But I think about a lot of times my inability or discomfort with asking for things that I want from a partner. But yet when I reflected that in sales, the breakthroughs I was able to ask for the sale or ask for what I really wanted or ask what was holding the customer back and then bringing that over into my personal life and realizing I still had a block there to work through. And I think over the last year, it's been something that's revealed itself to where Um, I've had to have some uncomfortable conversations with people that I've dated or potentially wanted to date and uh, unpacking those fears and confronting them and actually using them in real life. So it's something that I've talked about a lot, how sales relates to real life. And then I'll find these little places where I see myself not quite doing that. And then um, the sales situation comes up and I, and I see it so clearly. And then Uh, in order to be somebody that really embodies what I speak about and what I teach. Um, I've had to do that in my own personal life, and it's been amazing. So do you feel like it's easier to to kind of overcome those barriers at work with selling stuff or at at home or or in your personal life with relationships? Um, I do think it has been – so I'm – can you rephrase the question? <laughs> yeah. So you say like, for example, if it was uh, difficult for you to ask what, for what you wanted, yeah. um, was that, is it more difficult when you're facing a client or a potential boyfriend in this case? I think it's easier, uh, with a client because I'm able to look at it in as more of a, a situation where I can see, how I want to lead somebody to do the same thing. So when I know I'm going to be the example and I'm going to later be able to use that to help somebody else be better at it, it's easier for me to execute and face the parts where I'm uncomfortable. And my personal life sometimes is a little different because it's so close to my heart. Um, But sales is also close to my heart. So really seeing those in parallel has allowed me to be stronger at both. So confronting the discomfort in both areas has really made it easier everywhere. Yeah. And so I, I guess they help, they feed each other. Right. Right. But I'm curious about that because I feel like for a lot of creative people, um, and definitely a lot of listeners of the podcast, I feel like it's more difficult when they're facing a client or a, mm, a teammate or something at work, mostly because the fear, maybe the fear of rejection feels stronger or the worst case scenario seems scarier 
at work Ooh, yeah. or w- through cr- like everything that we create versus at home. Um, I wonder how they might. So if you were talking to your team, right, and, mm-hmm. and you're a master right. of hiring and, and training people, which we want, I want to talk about later. Um, tell me a little bit about how you might guide um, somebody to facing, you know, that fear of rejection or or whatever mm-hmm. in terms of asking for what they want. Right. Sometimes it's train us, Jean. (laughs) Sometimes my process that I really work with my team on is living the worst case scenario and actually saying, okay, the worst thing that could happen is. And the funny part about doing that is it's never as bad when you face it. When you actually go down the, the hole of if this didn't go my way, what's the worst possible part of this? And once you've already been there and you realize it's not as bad, then actually confronting the situation is not as painful. Um, and I think part of it too in, in the aspect of facing rejection is, um, is an opportunity to look at, um, does, it's an opportunity of self-validation and realizing that that situation, whether it goes your way or it doesn't, doesn't dictate your own value. Um, and I think that that's been a really important part of my own ability to face rejection in that this situation does not define me. It is a situation, but it's not me. To be honest, sales, the way you describe it, it sounds like therapy. And, <laughs> and the way that before talking to you, I viewed sales was like, icky and definitely not like therapy maybe the opposite um how is it that you made the transition into being this badass salesperson um you know maybe take us back a little bit to you know being that that girl who didn't want to ask for what she wanted or Mm -hmm. you know um the magazines and all that stuff how did you become gene powell now at Mir, VP of sales and all this stuff. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I actually started of all things in college, uh, job selling knives and I had to sell them in people's homes and I had to get all of my own leads. And I had to begin by starting with people that I knew, which to me was the biggest horror because that means if I screwed up or if somebody said, no, it was so deeply personal. I didn't have that. Well, I'll never see you again. So it doesn't matter. And after my first week on the job, I quit and I quit because I just couldn't face it. I couldn't face the potential of somebody that knew me thinking ill of me or, um, having to face them later on. Um, and fortunately my manager saw something in me and brought me in for a manager training meeting, which was ridiculous to have brought me into. Um, and I saw that there was this reward on the other side. There was this reward of, um, conquering something of achievement, of helping other people, um, and all these things that I saw that I knew uh, I could get if I could just be willing to face the difficulty. And I remember sitting in my room on a cordless phone, having to call people I knew, and and dialing as fast as I could and just hitting talk, just to so I didn't have an ability to chicken out. And that feeling of saying the thing that I didn't want to say and then having somebody say yes was so invigorating that 
I wanted more. And over time, what it became is a muscle. So I had to like summon every bit of myself. And I, I like to think of them as moments of audacity where there's that thing where you have to jump off the bridge. And if you wait a second longer, you can't do it. But if you just do it in that moment, and if you can train yourself to do it in little tiny ways, then over time, I can sit in that discomfort, discomfort for longer periods of time. A great example would be if I'm asking a customer um, for something that's big. Um, normally, uh, I think our tendency is to just sort of start talking and you almost talk yourself out of the sale. But now I've gotten to this place where I've built my muscle, where I can sit in the discomfort long enough to just let that silence sit. And it's amazing the things that can happen when you're just willing to just be in that space. And I find my own heart rate subsides when I just allow that space to linger a little bit longer. But it's a muscle that over time that I've built. And so I think that for anybody who's um, approaching sales in any endeavor, creative or otherwise, um, although I would argue everything is creative, just like I argue everything is sales, that um, if you can find little instances of it where you say the thing to your significant other that's a little uncomfortable, but if you say it, it's going to, um, you know, maybe break um, a discomfort that you're having within the relationship or the thing to the friend that they're doing that they have no idea. And if you would just say it, um, it would alleviate the tension. Those little things over time um, and within sales or out of sales, um, will mean that you're able to ask for bigger and bigger things. It's like working out, but working out your rejection muscle. Right. Right. And I, and I'm just, I'm curious how you would advise people to avoid thinking of sales as icky. You know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean when I say yeah, like infomercial absolutely. type of like, I think of sales as icky when I, and to me, it's almost like sales exists in two different buckets. Um, so I avoid sales books like the plague. And when people say, what's the best book I should read on sales? I say, don't read sales books, read books on relationships, read books on psychology, read books on understanding yourself more fully and approach sales from the angle of this is an opportunity to interact with a person where there's a transaction that will happen versus there's a process in which I should uh, do the five steps of closing a sale and always be closing Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or all of those sort of boiler room type scenarios. Um, I avoid all of that um, and get as far away from it as I can. And I think that in anything that you approach, there's an entry point that will feel right for you. And my entry point may not be the same for everyone, uh, especially now at this point in my life where I do feel a lot more audacious and willing to ask for bigger things. So when I bring a salesperson in that is much greener or less experienced, I try to meet them where they're at and figure out what entry point, where are they at in their life where they can relate to the sales situation and guide them through the process and getting comfortable and building that muscle over time that feels right for them. And it's realizing that it doesn't have to be sort of the way that you've seen it. Okay. And tell me a little bit about the people that you work with, because, um, you know, in the past you've, you've told me, for example, at your past job that mm -hmm. I think you had seven or eight, um, people working in your team and that every week they'd have to submit journals. I think you called it. 
Yeah, there were weekly sales reports, we, which really, still happens. Really? Yes. But I feel like they, I remember you telling me they were kind of like personal too. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. so, so I have this very big block towards doing things just because you're supposed to do them. And so I figure if I'm going to ask something of people, I should have a reason and a purpose that satisfies both them and me. So typically you'll see sales managers say, I need a weekly report from you because uh, what they're really saying is I need evidence that I'm doing my job and I need you to pretend like you're doing your job and we'll all kind of just walk away patting ourselves on the back. But my philosophy has been, if I'm going to ask you to take time that could be productive time or even time that you spend in your personal life to fill something out, that this should satisfy something that helps you grow and also helps me to help you more. So I design my weekly sales reports in such a structure where there's an opportunity for celebration. Like, what are you, what happened this week that you're, you were really excited about? Let's talk about it. What has been really challenging for you? And I give them a lot of free form and space. And it's not just that I give them this form, but that I teach them how to fill it out. I teach them how to think about this. So when, when I say challenges, what's going to help you make your do help you make your do your job better so that when I see this, I can use this both for you, but also it may be an area that other people on the team are struggling. So it gives me a platform from which to teach from at our weekly sales meetings. So I integrate it all together. Um, But I also ask questions like, um, you know, what are some challenges you see within the company? So people feel heard. There's a voice that they get to provide input on. And I think that's important when you're in a company, especially at Mirror, we're growing really fast. And I respect that each of my salespeople have a, a, a perspective that I'm not going to see because they're living in a different space within the company than I am, even though I'm next to them. They're dealing with a different customer subset or a different type of complaint. Um, so hearing those things allows me to bring them to my founder, um, and to our executive team in a way that I'm hearing everybody from all aspects of the sales team, whether it's the support or actual salespeople. Um, but also, uh, it gives them a free space to say, this is where I'm personally challenged just in my life, whether it's, um, uh, you know, a personal situation they're going through at home or, Um, they have a a consistent situation that keeps coming up for them at work, um, with a customer that they're uncomfortable with. And so by them talking through it and actually calling out the fear, it gives that fear less power. It gives the challenge less power, but it also gives me a place in which to meet them, to teach them. And I'm, I'm curious about how you're dealing with you know, that rapid growth at the company. Mm -hmm. And I assume your team is growing rapidly as well, right? Correct. How do you... That's a great question. (laughs) How do you deal with uh, growing the team that rapidly? And I mean, I feel like you have a pretty good eye for the kind of people that you want on your team. What Mm -hmm. is it that guides your your hiring process? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's interesting because I'm in the middle of hiring right now. Okay. <laughs> and um, I would, there's, first of all, I think that um, taking your time, as in taking your time and choosing a partner that you want to spend in your life, is critical. And I think that it's really easy when you're growing fast to, to move fast because you feel the pressure of people around you. And I've made that mistake before. So I've gotten to this place because I've screwed up, um, and have just made the snap decisions just to satisfy something. 
And now I realize that, you know, when you know, I look back at my history of things where relationships have gone well or hires have gone well. And I see this very clear neon pattern that I already knew. And I was following my gut. And there was a t- when there was a moment of hesitation of, or there just wasn't that yearning for the hire, I already knew, but I rationalized with my brain. And so one of the lessons that I've learned personally in the last year or two is how to drop out of my head and get closer to what my heart and my gut are telling me. And whenever I followed that piece of me, it's, it's always worked in my favor. Um, and when I've rationalized later on in my head, well, they could do the job. They would be good at the job. On paper, they're good. That's like saying in a relationship, this guy should be for me because on paper he looks good. But there's just something missing. But I'm going to talk myself into it because on paper he looks good or we'd look good in pictures together. So um, in the hiring process, I, I actually do a question format. So I describe the details of the position, but I ask some questions and they're fairly broad because I want to give an applicant an opportunity to free form because in the free form, they're showing me who they are. And, uh, and I take that really seriously and I wait as I read through for something to pop out at me where I just can't say no, I want to look further. And when I want to look further, then I click on their resume and then I see, okay, do I see anything that seems weird? Is the job hopping a little? And I give them an opportunity to explain themselves if their letter is compelling. It also allows me to see how they write, which is really important because in sales, communication is everything, both written and verbal. And then once somebody gets to the point where both their resume and their letter feel like there's alignment that makes me want to go deeper, then I do a phone conversation. And if there's a connection where I feel like, wow, this person has, for example, I just hired somebody for kind of a mid-level sales position, but they don't really have sales background, which seems really silly, especially with my time constraints at Mirror that I would do that. But I saw that in this person, First of all, he had a huge accident, and I was able to see a clip of his blog um, that really was compelling to me because, to me, I saw somebody who took a really awful situation and grew from it, and those are the types of people I want to work with. I want to spend my time, and I'm willing to put in the extra hours and energy with somebody who sees a bigger picture in life, and I knew that that would translate into they would see that within what we're building at our company right now. So and I, I saw, mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, it just sounds to me like, you know how they say like, you got to follow your hell yes and like all this kind yes. of stuff, but it sounds like it's actually the way that you hire. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny you say that Marcella, because that is my framework in every bucket of my life currently. I, I will hold it and I'll sit it, sit with it. And it's funny. I'll even do it almost symbolically where I'll write somebody's name down on a little piece of paper, rip it and hold it and then sit with it. And this sounds, I know kind of crazy, but it's the only way I can kind of do it in a gesture and, and kind of block everything else out because I'm so easily distracted and say, how does this feel to me right now? How does this person feel to me as I hold them? And if my gut says, hell yes, then I move forward. Even if there might be a couple, well, he's lacking the experience though, because if the hell yes is there, that's what I'm good at doing as, as somebody who leads a sales team. If my biggest skill isn't teaching people how to sell, then I've, I, I've got my own buckets that I need to look at that are missing. 
Um, but what I'm looking for is just all that raw material. It's like being a cook, right? You can be really good at, at, or you can be somebody who can just put ingredients together and have a so-so meal, but a really good cook can take even not so great ingredients and make something wonderful out of it. Um, but if you've got all the materials there, um, you can really, that's what I'm looking for. Well, I mean, you mentioned that you think that everything is creative, right? And that everything is yes. sales. How do mm -hmm. you bring creativity to not just teaching sales, but mm -hmm. getting your, your team to bring their, their own personal lives or their, their personality, not just to like overcoming barriers, but bringing that creativity or their own personality to when they're sitting with a client or when they're, you know, on the phone or whatever it is that contact Ooh. So a couple ways. First of all, I am constantly sharing my experiences that I've had both in the past or that I'm presently going through with customers and how I've used my creativity um, to navigate that customer. Um, and by sharing those experiences and showing my angle at it, it gives them freedom to think, wow, I can apply certain principles of sales but I can still be who I am in that. And here's how Gina has done it. How can I do it? And so while I'm sharing, I'm also asking the questions of them, how asking them to think how they would approach the same situation, asking for their feedback on how they would do it, and then coaching through that. Here's why that works. That is what I would say. And here's an area where there's, it, it may not work, and here's how to think about it. And then now how would you change it? So I'm giving them the freedom in which to think in that space instead of telling them what to do. And I guess that if we were to rewind, that's my challenge with sales books because there's, it's more of a like, here's how you do it instead of saying, what would you do? And why would that work? And why is that maybe not working? And being able to take a step back. So I think that you could apply that framework even if you don't have a manager to guide you through it, and just by reevaluating the questions that you're asking yourself. So here's the scenario. Here's how I think I should do it. Okay, so if this is how I think I should do it, why? what would work about that if I was looking at it from an outside perspective? Like if I were managing myself in this scenario. Okay, so why might that not work? Okay, what feels right to me? And then to trust your gut and then practice it. And then... From the results of that, take that feedback and improve. Okay, well, that this actually did work. So maybe I'll try it again in this different scenario and repeat. And then if there are still gaps, reaching out to people who you respect and trust with questions. Hey, I've had this scenario that has come up when I've tried to approach a client asking for money, and this hasn't felt good to me, and this is the approach I've used, what's your perspective? So then you can now come to other people with intelligent questions. So even if you don't have the framework of having a manager to guide you, you can create your own sort of um, mentorship by reaching out to people and getting those perspectives and talking through them, and thereby self-training. And I think that that's the framework in which I've approached getting good at sales myself, because I haven't always had a mentor to really guide me, especially in the management realm. And I think, okay, what's working? What's not working? What feels true for me? Okay, practice. Oh, well, that bombed. Um, why did that bomb? 
who might have better input? Oh, that person can offer me good advice. Hey, so-and-so, this is what I've experienced. Give me your thoughts. Okay, now try again. Fail, try again. Oh, succeed. And then that builds over time to where you kind of have all these pieces that have worked. And then you wake up one day and you're like, dang, I'm actually good at this. But it was really a lot of trial and error and being humble enough to ask for help and being uh, willing enough to try things over and over again with adjustments. So I have kind of made my own very simple system where I have a reminder on my phone that goes off every Saturday and it tells me to write my weekly wrap up, I call it. And I just copy and paste a template that I have into like my my journal. I use day one. It's an app, but I mean, you could use whatever. And it's very simple. All I do is I divide it by personal life and my projects. I used to be work, but something about the word work, I just don't like it. So um, I use just the word projects. And then for each one, I'll list a few things that went right and went wrong. And then at the end, I'll have a few goals or things that I want to focus on for the next week. It's nothing complicated. And I I definitely have thought about making it longer or adding a few more questions that are, well, you know, just kind of make me dive deeper. What that. Well, I mean, you do it with your team, with your weekly I do it. And I do it personally too, by the way. What are some questions that you ask yourself when you do it yourself or to your team that might be helpful to people to ask themselves on a regular basis? So even if like with me, I can't remember to do it. I have to set a reminder because I don't have Jean Powell telling me I owe her a sales (laughs) report. What would you recommend? I mean, I can do that for you if that's what you're asking. Let's do it. (laughs) Email me every week. I love having Jean Powell in my inbox. (laughs) Accountability with friends is the best. Um, so I actually use two tools that are, have been very, um, effective for me and they're both by the same place. I don't know if you've heard of the five minute journal. Um, this was one of the founders and I love it. It sits on my nightstand and it's a discipline that I put in every day. And then he just released the productivity journal, which I use at work. And what was so amazing is uh, the one that I got in the mail had a little bit of a defect. And I was just letting them know just to, you know, hey, heads up in case you run into this manufacturing issue. I wasn't being upset about it. But they were so generous and just mailed me a second one. So I gave my copy to the founder of Mir. And literally yesterday, he put it in my face across my desk and was like, oh, my God, I love this. So between the two of those, I have this framework that I've been following for some time now um, that has been so helpful. So the five-minute journal is something you fill out every morning and every evening that has some very simple open-ended questions. And they have both, um, you know, here's what would make today great. There is so much power in thinking about what are three things that if they happen today would be amazing. And I'll be honest. There are some weird things I put on there. Sometimes it's, I want to close this huge deal with, you know, X customer. Um, and the amount of times that that happens when I write it that same day, me because I feel like this ability that I have now conjured to manifest things that I want in my life, um, it, it doesn't feel like a coincidence anymore. Um, and then sometimes it's uh, having to do with relationship stuff. And sometimes it's stuff that I haven't confronted in my own life, but then I write it down and then it's like, oh, now it's looking at me. Now the unsaid thing has been said. So I love that piece of it. Um, There's also an affirmation, which I'm not really big on affirmations, but it says I am. And I always write down what I'm not feeling, but I wish I was. So it might be like, I'm feeling courageous to say the thing that I should say today. And then I'm like, oh, 
I already told myself I am. And I want to be true to my word to myself because that matters when I go home at night. So now I have to, I don't have a choice. So it's like self accountability. And then the end of it, the second, I'm not going into all of it, but the, the last part of the day before you go to bed is writing, it's celebrating your victories, which I think is so important because we don't acknowledge on a daily basis what goes right. And one of the reasons that I love champagne, which is such a side note, is that I love celebration. I love, I think that that creates an atmosphere of celebration and I think we should celebrate. And, you know, you may have remembered in the past and I'm like, it's Tuesday, we should celebrate. It's, you know, they're just silly things that I think that we should celebrate. Um, and that gives me a daily place to do it. And then the last question is, what could I have done to make today better? And that's just one of those questions that gets me every time because I see the thing that I would have maybe ignored that allows me to go, ah, I should, I, I, you know, tomorrow this is going to be better. For sure. So I have that piece and then I have the productivity journal. And I think that the most powerful part of the productivity journal, the question is, um, what, thing, if I did it today would make me feel, and I'm totally paraphrasing, but productive. And I fill this out the day before. And the reason I do is because my, my decision fatigue, I'm really aware of. So if I make that decision to think about it the day before I show up to work fresh every morning, I haven't had to think about it, but I've already pre-thought, what do I have to do today? That if everything else goes to crap, that I will feel like I was productive today. Um, and like for me today, it's that I have, um, I, I, I'm hiring for another position and I have this pile of applications I've been avoiding, but I already decided yesterday that I'm dedicating two time slots of 25 minutes today towards it. So I, now I don't have to lament over whether or not I should do it. I've already decided. And that is a super powerful framework that the productivity journal has given me. Well, thank you for many time slots because we've been talking for a while. Um, yeah, I have this thing called the self journal, uh, which was, mm. it was on Kickstarter and they got like 300, I don't know how many thousands of dollars and they were on the podcast. I don't remember what episode <laughs> and, um, I talked to, well, basically I received my journal and it has a schedule on one side where you just write in, um, what your day is like in 30 minute in intervals and then it's like Ooh. this morning I'm grateful for and then on the other side you have some goals uh, that you can write in today's targets what were the wins for the day what uh, lessons learned and opportunities oh, for that. improvement and then mm -hmm. again at night what are you grateful for and then like at the end of the week um, I jump around I don't do this every day because some days I'm just like my entire schedule and my goal and my today's targets and everything is just be with my kid so I'm like nope not <laughs> not wasting not, I'm not gonna waste a paper or one of the you know pages for the day of just like Juan Jose written all over it but um, <laughs> so I don't usually I do love the, that the weekly tracking at the end of the week for me, it's sometimes it's a Tuesday. Um, but it has, you know, you can track habits on a scale from one to 10. How happy were you this week and why stuff like that Re review your goals and the biggest lesson you learned. So I feel like all these questions, there's a quote that I'm going to look for real quick. Um, that is something like burp, 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 something like once you find the question, uh, you're so much closer to the answer. And, and I'm right. The answer butchering that. Uh, once you ask, um, that once you, it's the how will reveal itself is part of the quote I'm thinking of. Um, something uh, no, I about the it. why and the how will reveal itself. When we have arrived at the question, the answer is already near. Mm. That's actually questions. been a really good framework in which I've lived, um, I would say, over the past couple years is that um, I'm not searching for the answer. 
I already have it. I just need to be still long enough to find it and to hear it. Um, because I think that your intuition and gut will guide you. But what I'm really hearing from your method um, is that there, there's so many different um, forms out there. And it's that you find one that seems semi-good with you and then make it your own. Um, and you can, you can almost take anybody's framework and then make and just answer the questions in a way that fit what feels right for you. And when you, but, but having the practice is what I'm hearing from you, having the practice of doing it consistently. And that's what it's been for me too. It's just that I care about myself and I care about the people that I lead and the, the significant people in my life enough that I want to enact a discipline that makes me consistently aware and allows me to get better on a daily basis. And that sounds exactly what, like what you're doing too. Yeah. And I think you get to a point where you modify, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of getting mm -hmm. bored with my weekly wrap up. I'm seeing like there are other questions that could make me dive deeper and I'll probably just, all it really takes is changing the template once. And then every time I copy paste it into my journal, that question will be there. So it makes it kind of just so simple that I can't mess it up. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's like, you know, what questions are feeding you. And then as you said, you get bored. It's because those questions aren't aren't going into the next place that you need to go into. And so changing it up allows you to like uncover another layer of this is what I need to think about because I've kind of mastered this. Like I don't necessarily need to wake up every day and say, this is what I'm grateful for because now it's just a habit. I just automatically, I'm like, man, I'm so glad that X, Y, and Z is happening in my life. And, uh, like, can it really get better? Cause this is so good. I'm in such a good place. And I realized that asking myself, what am I grateful for is just part of my framework. So now I can move on to a different type of question that helps me to grow on another level because these other things are now automatic. And how great is that, that you can embody gratitude without even thinking about it if you ask it to yourself long enough. For sure. And I think I'm getting to the point where um, I like at night when we're falling asleep, I'll ask JJ because this is not my JJ's my husband for everybody who doesn't know J dog. Um, he <laughs> who's amazing. He, he's just not into this stuff, you know, so uh, I'll roll over. And I'll be like, what are you grateful for today? And he'll look at me like I'm nuts. And he'll be like, um, uh, cause I played golf <laughs> and I sold a thing that was good. And then, and, and I'll be like, oh my so God, I love this. He'll ask me back <laughs> and then, but I mean, he has great answers, but it, it's just, um, so this is, I mean, I've been doing it for like a week with him and he'll, he'll ask me back and I'll be like that the baby just had a cold. And he's like, what, how could you be grateful? He has a cold. I'm like, do you know what else he could have? Like we just, it was just a cold. I am so grateful for that. And he's like, Aww. I mean, that's true, but I don't know how you got there, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, right. I don't know. I've just been doing this for years and I can turn bad things into good things. Um, but, but definitely. What a I grateful think, thing. To, uh, what a great thing to share with a partner like that. I love, and I love picturing it too, because I know JJ. <laughs> so I just think that that's just so wonderful. <laughs> you know, what's really sucks is when I'm really tired and he like, he will tell me now and he's like, what are you grateful for? I'm like, no, I just want to <laughs> sleep. And he's like, what to three things. And I'm like, my mom, my dad and you. And he's like, no, for real. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And like, I'll do it. And so it's kind of, become a mutual thing. Uh, and I see like he's enjoying it. So that's, that's, it's interesting. And I've asked him like, do you sleep better on the nights where we remember to ask each other? And he's like, I do. I'm like, oh my too. gosh. Yeah. So it's interesting. That's powerful. But, but I'm loving, I feel like there's a great blog post coming out of this <laughs> right here. I'll have to have him approve it though. 
I'm, I'm lucky he doesn't remember. He doesn't listen to my podcast. He's you can like, conceal his identity. Just use someone else's name, Marcella. I've gotten in trouble for that before. People are like, you know, I know it's me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It totally was not you. <laughs> or No, but he'll definitely tell me all the time. He's like, you know, I haven't read your last few posts. I'm like, you don't have to. You see me all day. Like, you don't have to. Like, my bestie, she's like, I haven't listened to your podcasts. And I'm like, don't. You listen to me all the time on the phone. Like, you don't need to hear my my voice when you can't even talk back to me don't worry about it but uh but yeah it's interesting to see how constantly evolving to just face that new frontier you know yeah absolutely which i think is a really big theme so yeah and i want to talk about yours (laughs) um tell me tell me a little bit about what you are creating and and i want to tell everybody that what it's been a few years since you've been writing on your blog uh when was it after south by uh 2013 was it gosh i mean how is it that you know this <laughs> the blog anniversary um it's because yeah, i remember I we talked about the name and everything back then yeah because i was like so freaked out to actually even start a blog and it was, it was a few uh, weeks after like, that that you just published your first post i remember and then like one of our friends joel helped you with the theme you remember i remember this stuff i don't know i have a good memory but it was right after that conference so it's been a few years now And you haven't had a blog post published in a while. Tell me about this. I haven't. I haven't. You know, this year has been a really personally trying year. I've gone through multiple transitions, um, both in my personal and professional life, of all of which I am so incredibly grateful for. But I felt mute for a while. And one of the pieces of advice I read a while back, and I believe it was by Danielle Laporte, Um, I could be wrong, but anyways, uh, it said, don't write while you're bleeding or don't publish while you're bleeding. And that's something I took to heart because, you know, Brene Brown talks so beautifully about vulnerability. And I think that, um, that was her work has been transformative for me. Um, but one of the, the distinctions she makes is the twinkling lights of vulnerability versus like the floodlights where there's the oversharing and maybe going to a place that like isn't necessarily even helpful to anybody and is it feels like too much information. And so a lot of my writing has been going within and saying this isn't necessarily, I don't need to do this for show. This is cathartic for me. And I've shared a couple things with some very close people in my life um, that I've written more recently, but, but I have helped because um, a lot of that time period, I was there was a lot of healing that I was going through some self-inquiry and I was profusely bleeding and I needed to just sort of like hold that within. And now I've literally just recently, and I, I feel like nothing is coincidence anymore that we're even talking, but um, because you're one of the people that I feel um, that when I'm not writing, I don't talk to as much. And that when I feel like I should be, I talk to more because you prompt me in a very beautiful way. So just side note, that's something that one of your gifts. But um, <clears throat> but now I've been feeling lately to revisit those and now bring my progression onto those. And that's where the, the two layers come out in some of my better writing. Um, it's to see where I've been, where I am, and then give a perspective that I think will be helpful. Whereas before it was just cathartic writing. So... Um, I have some kind of posts queued up and and I'm ready to get back to it. And more so because I think it's important. It's not even that I have a big readership. I just think it's important to like put those things out in the world. And and, because inevitably somebody will read it where it hits a chord and it made all that that worth it. 
And then when I can assign some of the pain or transitions I've gone through into helping one other person, then it makes the next pain less painful. Because then I think maybe I'm the one that's supposed to go through this because of the perspective I can provide on it and then offer to another human. So two things. First of all, I think um, the reason why you and I are probably friends is because we experienced Brene Brown and Danielle Laporte for the first time together. Actually, I think so you, true. you had been to Danielle You exposed me to Danielle, by the way. Was it? No. She was yes, at the no, first it was. world no, no, domination. No, you were the one that, ex- that exposed oh. me to her. I didn't even know if she existed. I was like, come with me. And come with me. I, and I went with you. Yes. Yes, to the church, to the chapel. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but Brene you had seen before. I had not seen her. Well, I saw her at that conference, but I had seen her TED Talk, which is how I ended up at that conference. That's how it was. So I the had fact no that you and I was. know each other, I, I credit Brene Brown. And Mark <laughs> She Jacobs. has no idea. Um, <laughs> Mark Jacobs, Brene Brown, Danielle Laporte brought us together. <laughs> but <laughs> Mark Jacobs, because I, the, the way that I approached Jean was I was totally alone at this conference, World Domination Summit in Portland. I was back in the day when I would just say, JJ, I'm going to go to a conference. I'm buying my ticket piece. And I went and Jean was standing on the other side of the room and I saw her purse and I went up to her and I was like, I like your purse. <laughs> and that's it. So that's it. That's, that's how it. the beautiful story happened. Exactly. <laughs> but what I was going to ask you was, there's something you said that kind of made me think. So lately I've been focusing a lot on serving people with my writing and just forgetting mm. my analytics, forgetting, you know, how big my audience is, how it's growing, who cares, who listens. I mean, I love people who listen to this podcast, but I want to do it to serve people and not because it's going to make me money or because I'm getting, I don't know how many thousands of listeners per episode or whatever. I'm just trying to serve. And you said that you are getting to the point where your writing can be helpful to somebody else. Do you think that your writing needs to be helpful to somebody to be published? Um, I think that for me, that's what feels good. And it's what ignites my writing when I think, ah, this could, first of all, I'm expressing something that I'm going through and by writing it, it feels good. But when I actually turn to the publishing side, um, for me, something that can be helpful when I have that, that mind frame that my shared experience, because we're all connected. Um, and I think that everybody's writing can be helpful because you're giving a lens of the world that no one else on earth could have exactly the way that you have it because no one contains your exact lived experiences. Um, and so it, it, it inspires writing, I think. Okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. And that makes sense. And I think that how would you say that you bring your experience with sales or how does that translate to your creative work? And I know that like, I agree with you that mm-hmm. everything is creative, but let's say in this case, like the, the writing, uh, right. how does that translate to your writing? How does sales translate to my writing? Yeah. Or things that you learn through sales. Is it just, everything mm. is just one big thing. Yeah, it's funny because the difficult times, so you know, sometimes you'll have something that happens and it's so absurd. And then in the midst of it, you're like, this is going to be a great story. And so it almost, it, you almost look at it like it's a show. Like, I don't know if everybody does this, but sometimes I swear that I'm looking from the outside in at a really ridiculous experience. 
um, like a weird interaction with a stranger on the street. And then you're like, later on, this is going to be such a good story to tell. I think that way about sales. So sometimes uh, I'm experiencing a, a weird customer situation or where I just got burned by a customer that I thought was totally going my way. And it allows me to be really, really humble and to go, man, I even get smacked sometimes, or I didn't see that coming, or how did I miss this? Or maybe I got a little too cocky. And then it, it I think in my head, this is going to be a fun story to write about. And then it's going to show that like, I'm not perfect either at, at this. And I have plenty of places in which to grow. And if we can just all laugh about it and learn from it, then the whole scenario ends up being worth it. But also it makes it fun and funny at the same time. What about in terms of so I, growing your audience? Um, mm. I've, I've seen that your writing has been, well, there's, I can think of one, which is Thought Catalog. Your writing has been reposted there. Um, mm-hmm. Was that something that you pitched and that you brought your sales uh, stuff to or did they reach out to you? Just in terms no. of like just bringing, um, practically speaking, your outreach you know, your yeah, sales so writing. I've had a few blogs that have picked me up. And if you look at my body of work, it's not that large um, because I just haven't published um, as much as I, I, I kind of wished I would have over the past bit. Um, but they've all found me. And I think that it's interesting because I say, what's the common link between the posts that have found me where I've been approached? Um, and I think it's just when I'm, I'm not trying to be anywhere. I'm not trying to, um, create this platform or have this strategy to build a blog following. Once I surrendered to this writing is just about me authentically living and sharing my experiences because I know someone else out there will connect. Those are the ones that always hit. And all of a sudden I think, Oh, I can do this writing thing because um, it's always in the midst of where I think I'm going to quit writing. Um, and uh, I think that that's why I'm feeling inspired to write again, because I, I'm feeling that bubble up of, ah, I have these things to say and I feel like somebody is going to connect with it. And those are always the ones that also get the most views. Um, but whenever I try to manufacture and try to clear my throat and stand on the stage, then I find that the posts don't have that feel. They don't have that rhythm and they don't get that connection with people. But when a stranger reaches out and says, you hit me with that, like that really is what I needed at the, at exactly when I need, needed it. I just don't feel like that's coincidence. I just think that there's something out there in that how we're all connected, where we're supposed to speak. And if I don't speak, then somebody didn't hear what they needed to hear. And it, I think that we all have that place in which we can bring that from our lives. We all have that experience. And you don't have to necessarily have a blog where you publish daily or weekly to, to do that. But I think that there, when you, when you can view it that way and it gives meaning to what you do, it's actually something that has made me want to be a writer. So if we were to translate like views or shares or whatever, mm-hmm. um, to like sales, mm-hmm. you'd, it sounds like it's when you surrender to like the art of writing and mm-hmm. not trying that you quote unquote sell the most. Do you think that's, yeah. that's yeah, strange? I, that's a funny, I have never thought of it but that way. But like, because I look at the process of sales about the process of 
connecting with the customer and finding that common place and coming, meeting them where they're at versus this is my sales process. And it says, I'm supposed to find something we have in common. It's more like you're a human. I'm a human. We're having a conversation. If we're having a conversation outside of sales, how would I want to get to know you? Oh, I want to know this about you. And oh my gosh, what you said was just interesting. And I'm going to say something about it instead of think, oh, here's the next step in the sales process. Um, so it's the same thing when you surrender. Yeah, to it's them. totally taking a human approach to it. And then you, and then it's almost like I black out and I wake up and I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be selling. And I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, this is the product. Here's why I love it. And I love it emphatically. And here's our company and what we stand for. And you clearly have a need or could benefit from this. And like, ooh, look, I just played matchmaker with product to person. Um, so yes, it, it is surrendering to the process and then the outcome just sort of reveals itself. I love that you said that cause my podcast is called process. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a coincidence, Marcella. <laughs> it is not a coincidence. It's proof that you were supposed to be on the show. Uh, <laughs> I, okay. So if just one last question because then I have to go get my kid. Um, <laughs> if there was one thing that you wanted to impart on us or invite mm. us to explore when it comes to sales and creativity, what would it be? Um, oh, man. I mean, the first thing that came up for me as soon as you said that is it doesn't have to be the way everybody else does it. And I think sometimes we try so hard to find answers we're trying to find somebody else to tell you this is how you do it. And like so formulas. people write books and books and books and, and this framework and that framework instead of saying what feels true for me, what feels good for me, how can I approach this and put the Marcella, the Marcella approach to it um, and not judge it and surrender to that is the way that works best for you. And thereby you're going to come up with something that nobody else would have come up with because they couldn't. That makes total sense. And I, I spoke about that with a friend of mine, Caroline Kelso, which I Ooh. believe you've met at Misfit. Yes. She was uh -huh. on the podcast and I asked her about like how she, ne it never feels like she's selling to me. And, you know, I, I love her writing. I love her art. I've bought, I just bought a print. Um, you know, like I just love Ooh, her I love stuff. her stuff. Yeah. So, but I'm like, I never feel like you're selling to me. It feels like you're a friend who's like, Hey, if you like this, cool. And if you don't, that's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you right. do that? And she kind of had a similar take where she was like, I just do, I try to stay as, you know, just honest to myself and apply my own approach to, uh, to selling. And it, and it definitely works for her. She's, she's doing really well. Yeah. So, Can I echo that? I echo that really quick in that. When you find a company product service um, or you're creating something that you really do believe in, if you really believe in the body of work that you're invested in, then you want to share it. And if you don't, then you, it gives you an opportunity to self-inquiry and reevaluate what it is you're invested in. So I've worked for companies where I just didn't believe in what they were doing um, anymore and I had to move on because I want to fully embody anything that I'm sharing in the world and whether that's my own work. And maybe that's one of the reasons I put my writing on pause publishing for a while, because I wasn't 
I didn't feel that same feeling that I felt in the past. And now it's bubbling up again for me. And I think it's not a coincidence. Um, but like working with Mir, I feel so invested in the product and more importantly, what we stand for as a brand that when I go out with a customer, it exudes from me without me trying and thereby I'm selling without selling. And so I think that that's the way that you can look at sales without having that icky feeling of just be so proud of what you're creating that you want to share it. And it's like, if you follow Caroline's Instagram, her work is so beautiful. It's not a surprise, um, but she's taking pride in her work and thereby selling with effortlessly. Okay. So now I have one more question. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do if you are not proud of what you're selling? Whether, you know, like, so for example, you're at a company, you're mm -hmm. on the sales team, mm -hmm. you don't like what you're selling. Um, or you're a creative person, you're pushing a product, one of your own products, what would you say mm. is the next step for somebody when they're not feeling comfortable with what they're selling? That's such a good question. So I think there's two things. I think the first part is asking different types of questions as to what can you find about X product or X creation that you do love? What are you missing? Sometimes it's like, it's like thinking about what am I grateful for, right? There's all the, like, I'm grateful all the time, right? But until you ask the question, sometimes you don't have that concentrated energy and focus around gratitude. I think it's the same thing when you look at a product that you're representing or something that you've created. It's looking at it from different eyes. Sometimes I'll do this thing where I'll look through someone else's eyes. I'll think, okay, so-and-so, how are they looking at it? How do they view it? What do they love about it? Um, especially if it's something I created. Like, why would Marcella like this post that I'm writing? Because it's going to resonate with her for A, B, and C. Um, and then all of a sudden, I'm filled with pride about it because I realize that I've spoken to somebody directly and I can impact them. Um, so same thing with a product. Like, why would this, like, maybe I don't need another stainless steel water bottle, but why does this benefit the world, the reusable aspect, the fact that we give? Um, why does that matter to end user? And if I can come up with an answer there, I'm in a good place. And if after that level of looking at it, I can't come up with that answer, then I think that there is something to saying I need to change things. And I think that that's okay to say too. And I tend to live with the framework of, man, there's so much out there. You can't tell me there's not another product out there that I could either create or there's another angle I could write about, or there's another company I could work with. In a world so vast, it's like sometimes like you have to be willing to let go of what doesn't feel right and what doesn't serve what, what you care about in the world. I love that. Thank you so much, Jean. And thanks so much for being on the podcast and sharing that all of that with us. And I think that there's more to be said about sales. So I think... Fast forward a few months, we may be doing round two if you're up Oh my forward. gosh, it's so much fun. Always. I love these conversations with you, Marcella. All right. Thanks, Jean. Thank you. Wasn't that awesome? Thank you, Jean Powell, for being on the podcast. You can find Jean at www.jeanontap.com. She's also Jean on Tap over at Twitter. And, you know, you can find links to her blog and her Twitter account and Mir and all the stuff that they're doing If you just head over to the show notes, if you just go to www.process.show, everything will be there so you can check out more about Jean. I'll also include stuff like the quote that I mentioned from Ralph Waldo Emerson and some of my favorite quotes from the episode. So 
go on over to process.show for that. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jean. If you enjoyed our talk, let me know. I'm Marcinator over on Twitter, and I'd be so grateful if you hopped on over to iTunes and left us a glowing review, if that's what you honestly think about the show. And I'll be back next Friday with the next episode of Process and more on managing the ups and downs of creating and making. I'm Marcela Chamorro, your host, and this was Process. Oh, wait, P.S. I won't be back next week. I'm going on vacation. I'll see you in two weeks. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Process. Thanks so much for tuning in.